Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another prestige podcast. Uh, we are going to once again take liberties with this term uh, because we're talking about 2000. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2001's A Knight's Tale that came out May 12th, I believe, in 2001, uh, making this the 20th anniversary, which made me feel really old when I heard when I heard this, because I was a young man of uh, just 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 newly minted and, and vital. Uh, and, and now I'm a, a wizened husk. And I look back at all these other young, vital, beautiful people. And I like, where did it go, Jim? Where where did my hair go? Where did my waistline go? Is it too soon uh, to say you fared better than Heath Ledger did? Oh, probably. Okay. <laughs> I said it anyway. Um, yeah, I did think about that a lot, though. Watching, yeah. you can't help but like, geez, why? What would it? Yeah, what would he? Yeah, if uh, you know, addiction and depression didn't didn't claim another young life. Do you yeah. do you think that? Um, so like, I have never seen this movie before because this is when this movie was like when I saw it. Like, I felt like um, what was that Drew Barrymore? movie about her being in medieval times uh i got suckered into watching that around here and and like i don't like drew barrymore and i really hated that film when i saw this come out i'm like oh this is another one of those stupid shits like this could definitely be mistaken for like a martin lawrence black knight sort of thing or like like just like a real like i I mean i I don't like using this word because it's pejorative i'm gonna use this word uh a chick flick uh, like sure. you know, just yeah. but but not even a good one. It just it's just like looked dumb. It looked hokey. It's like what they got they got knights and they're singing they're singing queen songs and they're they're speaking the king's English, but they're you know they're firing up ACDC. I'm like nah, no thanks. Plus it's Heath led Paul Bet Alan who who all who are these people? Bunch yeah. of pretty boys cast no talent. Uh, they're not, <laughs> not going to amount to a hill of beans. None of these guys. And I missed it. I missed it. Um, Damn. And then I feel like in the last five years, people are like, uh, actually, A Knight's Tale is a really cool, fun movie. Um, so I'm like, oh, maybe I'll check it out one day. And today's the day. Have you seen this film before? What, what oh, do you think yeah. of it? Yeah, I saw it back in the 2000s at some point. Um, really? I, I want to say I maybe got the DVD on discount when I worked at Walmart. It was like one of the, like a $5 bin and I got like 50% off. So I'm like, fuck it. Why not? I pick it up. Yeah, why not? I watched it and I was like, wow, that was actually a ton of fun. I really like that movie. And I'm not a rom-com guy pretty mm-hmm. much at all. And this is definitely a rom-com, but the com part of it is so good that I can overlook a lot of just like eye-rolly romantic shit that doesn't do it for me. Honestly, it feels like because uh, I, I it's coincidental because like there's a lot of a night's tale discourse probably because it's the 20th anniversary and I'm thinking about it yeah I saw like a Joanna uh, Robinson was talking about this and like retweeting stuff and I, I, I thought she retweeted something along the lines of uh, it's a shame that a night's tale didn't realize it was a found family film and was stuck into like sports film formula where I didn't agree because I like the sports film like the treating jousting as like a conventional you know uh yeah, sports like this is a sports tale. This is like Happy Gilmore. This is Hoosiers. This is all that stuff. The found family stuff is in there too. But what I felt really tacked on was the romance. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like this man. I, I feel like I say this a lot, but like this movie's stronger if you just take all the twenty minutes of him trying to woo this highborn lady and just get the fuck out of there. And you, you don't have to substitute yeah. with like a romance with the uh, blacksmith uh, or the farrier. It's just you just don't need it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I didn't think that they were very charismatic together and like a lot of that shit was annoying. Like the whole, Oh, if you love me, you'll lose and get the shit kicked out of you for like a lose Taj. Like, I don't know, but I really enjoyed like, I, you know, looking back, of course, a movie with like Heath Ledger and Alan Tudyk and uh, Paul Bettany, like sloshing around as kind of like a slightly drunken gambling degenerate Jeffrey Chaucer. How could this movie go wrong? And it really right. kind of doesn't. I, I mean, th- these actors weren't known then, right? Like, I, I, it's certainly not nearly as well as they're known now. I mean, this the I talent had been in things like hadn't he been in the Patriot? Wasn't he like Mel Gibson's son in the Patriot? And he'd done other. But like, yeah, he. Yeah. You know, yeah, like Heath Ledger was was, uh, was a pretty un, unknown quantity for the most part. Yeah, he hadn't done pre, Joker, pre broke back pre-Joker, yep. and that's the kind of stuff that put him on the map. And same with the other guys. Um, I had no idea who Mark Addy was at the time, and of course he went on and became Robert Baratheon in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. which was awesome. Uh, Paul Bedney, everybody knows him at this point. And Alan Tudyk is great. I've seen him in so many things that he is just this character genius, I would say. Yes. He's, he's brilliant at playing these quirky characters. Uh and he does it in this movie and it works, man. There is so much talent in this movie. It's crazy. And it's just this overlooked sort of mid 2000s rom-com. I have really grown to appreciate Alan Tudyk uh, over the last year or two. Like he's done so much brilliant voice work. Yeah. Um, and I started just paying attention to that, you know, because he's always been kind of like wash on uh, Firefly. But the stuff he did in um, season one of Doom Patrol on HBO um, was just really fucking next level and like m- very funny, but also genuinely menacing and terrifying. The work he did uh, as the Joker on Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just really like really solid guy. In fact, like at some point I want to de- I want to have a little debate or discussion of who had the better career, who has the better career right now, Alan Tudyk or Nathan Fillion. Oh, because I kind of oh. think Alan Tudyk is out of nowhere fucking. I, I mean, taking it, Nathan Fillion's lunch. Fillion fell down a castle hole. I, so <laughs> I haven't watched maybe. a single episode. Well, that's probably not true. I think I've watched like two episodes of Castle in total. And I, I don't care for procedurals that much, even if they're, you know, right. funny procedurals with Nathan Fillion at the helm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, Alan Tudyk has done a ton of great stuff like my my reintroduction to alan tudyk after firefly was uh tucker and dale versus evil which is hilarious that, that's a great yep. movie and he's great in it uh and then yeah all that voice work he's done lately i'm really enjoying harley quinn right now mm-hmm. so yeah I, he's had a stellar career and then paul bettany obviously is like just blowing up right now with the marvel stuff Oh yeah, yeah, and I've you know I've like liked him. I fell kind of in love with him during the uh, the whole Master and Commander run, and then oh, right. yeah, I consistently liked his work he did on Marvel, and um, he's done a lot of a lot of stuff that I've liked. Um, Beautiful mm-hmm. Mind, I really liked his uh, figment of imagination role in that. Everybody has such a range, right? Because I've I've with maybe the exception of Tudyk, I haven't seen him do a ton of dramatic stuff. I'm sure he could if he mm-hmm. needed to, uh, but mm-hmm. Paul Bettany like. In in the Wandavision series, right? He's got mm-hmm. those comic chops that you see in this. Oh my god! Yes. But he's also got the serious stuff. Uh, he he can turn on the drama when he needs to. The, and same with Heath Ledger, right? He's doing. He's almost the straight man in this. Like him and Mark Addy are like closest to straight men as possible. 
in this movie, even though they still have a lot of comedic stuff to do. Uh, so obviously they both have a ton of range too. It's funny how your perceptions of people change because like I saw Mark Addy for the first time consciously in, you know, Game of Thrones. And of course he makes a pretty fucking big impression as Bobby B. Yeah. Fetch me to bre- uh, breastplate stretcher, <laughs> uh, et cetera, et cetera. But he's like kind of a soft spoken sweetheart in everything I've uh-huh. ever seen him in since, including this film. He's like, he said, the straight man. He's like the sober, responsible one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 Alan Tudyk is the hothead prone to fly into rage and threaten to fong people. Fong? Uh, Yeah. What is fonging? Is that a real word? That's an archaic English word that means to kick. Okay. But it happens to also make uh, modern audiences think about either fuck or fist. Like, Mm -hmm. I think you could, there's a couple, like when I was, I was, I could, before I looked it up, I was like, is this something they made up some kind of balderization or. But yeah, I guess it's like a Chaucer era term for just kicking, kicking something or someone. Nice. But yeah, I was, uh, um, you know, I, let's, let's run down. You know, this this movie is directed by uh, Brian uh, Helgeland, who is most known for being a screenplay or screenwriter for the the script for L.A. Confidential and Mystic River. Obviously, very well regarded films. But he also wrote and directed uh, Forty Two, the uh, Jackie Robinson biopic. Uh, um, stars Heath Ledger. Everybody knows who Heath Ledger is. Uh, Mark Addy. If, if you hadn't picked it up, he's Bobby Baratheon from season one of Game of Thrones. Rufus Sewell, Sewell or Sewell. Uh, I've only seen him play just absolute ridiculous shits. He's like yeah. the British James Spader. Like he's capable of being charming <laughs> and sophisticated, but he's like mostly cast as like shady villains, uh, romantic villains. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, he's got so, that face. And he, villainous he's got face. that face he's got that face and he does good work here with it uh mm-hmm. paul bettany uh who you might recall being a uh, dr matron from master and commander the uh, sailing pick that i'm pretty pretty fond of or vision um, from all the marvel movies or vision from all the Perhaps. marvel movies thank you <laughs> alan tudyk we've already talked about you know he's from from fireflies from doom patrol uh it's done a lot of voice work king king candy from uh uh wreck it ralph uh, and it started that then the, the, the Susan Sh- uh, or Shannon Sossaman, uh, who also was in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and the, uh, had a minor role in the holiday. Hmm. Uh, but I haven't seen her in much and she didn't make much of an impression. I did like the blacksmith, Laura Frazier. And I did not know this until Jim told me just before we recorded the podcast. Where, where's she from, Jim? You probably recognize her from Breaking Bad. She plays Lydia, which is hilarious because I'm watching this movie and I'm going and I'm looking down at my notes and I'm looking up at the screen and I'm like seeing this person, uh, you know, across the way and I don't recognize her. And then they walk over to her, to her blacksmithing stall and she opens her mouth. I'm like, Oh, that's Lydia from breaking bad. Even though she's putting on some kind of accent here, I recognized her not from what she looks like, even though she looks exactly like she does as Lydia, but from the weird accented non Lydia voice she's doing. She has a very distinctive way of talking. Yep. A woman who deserves to die as much as any man I've ever met. It's true. Uh, and that's that's yeah, just a couple like um, Mace Tyrell, the uh, patriarch of the Tyrell branch of the Game of Thrones cast. Uh, yeah. Marjorie's dad, Lady yeah. Olena, Queen of Thorns, son, kind of like hapless uh, Lord sits a banquet, I think, is one of his uh, nicknames on the show. Uh, he shows up as a kind of a stuffy monk in the, the early goings. There's a few other people I gotcha. recognized here and there, but it's it's mostly yeah, it's mostly like um, 
uh, an ensemble cast. Like it's like this is like medieval friends, and uh, that's that's the main cast. Um, what before we go on and talk like I guess spoilers um, for this the silly movie we're talking about. Uh, I should give the the standard synopsis. Um, this is a movie about a peasant squire for a knight. Uh, who the movie opens, they're at a tournament. The elderly knight uh, is past his prime and actually dies, but he's got a three lance lead uh, in this minor backwater tournament. And Heath Ledger, who is the squire, decides to break the law. Only nobility are allowed to joust, you see, and wear his uh, patron's armor. And, and all he has to do is not get knocked off, and he wins. So they win, and instead of splitting the meager reward three ways between uh, Mark Addy and uh, Alan Tudyk, they decide to plow that into training and equipment and and trust in Heath Ledger to be good enough to win tournaments and win mo- uh, money. Along the way, they meet degenerate gambler uh, jo- Joffrey Chaucer, who would go on to write the Canterbury Tales, and he starts following them as kind of like Bard and Harold uh forges some um official aristocratic paperwork for him so everything's all legit and legal and it becomes a sport it's, it's, it's a standard sports movie jousting is a sport heath ledger is the up-and-coming star how high can he rise can he win the heart of the lady that is kind of sweet on him will his deep dark peasantry past ever be discovered mm-hmm. do you think do you think maybe at a crucial point in the third act, it'll be discovered. Nah, you probably don't see that coming. You probably don't see that coming. Will he win the final joust? Who knows? Mm. Maybe he'll fucking end up died, dead, or maimed or something. It could be like a fucking Braveheart situation. You think? You think? You know, it's hilarious because you're going on about how predictable this movie it is. And it totally is. Like, all those things happen, definitely. But also, it plays with so many conventions of, like, historical dramas, right? That that it's kind of strange that they didn't subvert expectations in the plot because they do with like yeah. the music and like the characters and the, the time period, all this stuff is just like remixed, but they don't really mm-hmm. do it with the plot. It's pretty straightforward, romantic comedy, action but, drama. But this stuff. is, this is aimed squarely at kind of young adults. And you know, uh, if you, if you're a young adult and you watch it and you grow up and now you're a, uh, middle-aged adult like a lot of us are uh you still have affection for it but like yeah, oh, yeah. it's definitely you know it's not there but i it's it's funny because the movie was so close to being a little bit more than it was that i kept on expecting it kind of and it it kind of let me down um huh for example they have like there's all this like class commentary throughout the whole movie yeah. and oh, we're gonna get to spoilers now if you if you if you want to bail on this uh, on, on this and go watch it um but like, you know, there's a whole this thing about, um, you know, what makes people really worth this or that and the other. And, you know, like uh, unearned privilege and all this other stuff. And, you know, this guy changing his stars and all that stuff. And then he gets exposed as a peasant and he gets put in the stockades. And then this prince that has been disguising as royal because there's this obscure, you know, like everyone knows about the rule. You're not allowed to like assault royalty. So like, you know, these guys could never. I don't know if this is true or not, but it's it's like Game of Thrones true. That's true enough for me mm-hmm. uh, that you can't assault these royal personages, not even in like training or any. So like, you know, the paradox is they want to win glory in battle, but they can't ever really can't win glory in tournaments because no one will strike him. Everybody yields to him, blah, blah, blah. Um, this guy, because um, uh, Heath Ledger's character has impressed him a few times earlier in the movie with his nobility and his grace and his, you know, showing the knightly 
uh, code that you're supposed to uphold decides to um, reveal his parentage like it's just weird like it's almost like you guys put him in stocks because you thought he's no low born but he's actually high born so there and I thought that it was going to well, be not. like he's just right he just tells everybody that he is I, I, I get I get that I, actually okay. I didn't get that but then when I was thinking about it I'm like well, okay what he actually says is he's high born and it's my word but like yeah isn't one of the powers of these royal people the ability to just knight somebody for like meritorious like, what if he just uh-huh. pulls him out of the stocks and says, enough of this. This guy has been merciful and just and brave and everything a knight should be. And I'm going to pull my sword out and I'm going to dub thee Sir William. Like, I thought it was weird that, like, we made all these statements about, like, how this class thing is kind of garbage and it's American film. And we kind of like this one thing we all agree and is like, in theory, class distinctions are kind of garbage. And then at the end of it, it's just like. Not married. It's like, yeah, I'm. Te- I don't know. Maybe I'm. But but like, yeah. I kept on thinking there might be. I kept also thinking there might be a little subversion of like the romantic relationship. But after a few kind of paying lip service to her being kind of uh you know different and modern, her thinking like it kind of pretty much became a standard you know say anything type of romance. Yeah. Um, big big showy things to prove love and all that kind of stuff. Um. Yeah, I definitely don't think this movie is perfect, but it is a ton no. of fun. Yeah. How much of the fun is the juxtaposition of the set and setting and like the tone and Tons the of music and things? Tons of it. It's it's like 70% that and 30% that the comedy is good. And that's uh-huh. kind of the fun of the movie. Because I was wondering, like, would this work as well if it didn't? Because like, I I, kinda, I don't know. I I... I I want to believe what you're saying, but also like, I guess, do you really think that like if they didn't have Queen and ACDC and like, what is the other one? Um, David Bowie, like if everything else is just straight, because like it's and also like, where did they draw the line? I think that was interesting. Like their costuming is pretty. I don't know if it's like because I, I don't even know what the fucking period this is supposed to go for, but it, it feels it's like authentic. the late 1300s. Yeah, it's not like Excalibur or like Armies of Darkness where it's just like, you know, the, the just just either a fantasy night or like a sketch of like, OK, this is kind of like some male and some halberds and some some tunics and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. it, it looks good like they sweated the medieval details. They're also like talking in what's an affected kind of 16th century accent or like medieval ages accent. The only thing that's like modern is like the music itself. I like what I wonder where they decided to draw the line of like, you know, like, like let's just Moulin Rouge this where it's like pretty much period, except we're going to have like, you know, anarchistic music. Yeah. I feel like some of the, the sensibilities of the characters are far more modern than you would expect. Um, But you're right. It doesn't, it's, I know it seems like that's where they draw the line. Like some of the characters are given some agency beyond maybe what they would have had at the time period. Mm-hmm. And then also the music, right? Because like you, the, the music is fun, but like uh, it's not like, I don't think the crowd reaction, I guess there's one point where like um, everyone spontaneously breaks out in a modern dance from like oh, a yeah. stilted medieval kind of I, march, I mean, the, like, the music is part of the movie. It's not just like, oh, they took medieval scenes and put Queen behind it. It's right. no, there the crowd is singing, We will rock you. Like it is part of the event that's happening on screen. Uh when but they the go crowd, and do golden years and the dance, like 
The up-tempo yeah. dance they're doing is to that song. It's not to some yeah, yeah, medieval yeah. thing that we can't hear. Yeah, but on the other hand, like in the first scene, like when they're doing the "We Will Rock You," it's like that's yeah, they're singing a modern song, but like the behavior of the crowd, like from what I can tell, is like pretty standard, raucous Middle Ages public execution, jousting, eating, drinking. You know, like it's it's not like uh, the raucous nature, like the football hooligan nature of the crowd was anachronistic. It's just like again, the soundtrack they said it to. And what I'm getting at is like, well, but they're, they're it, stamping their feet and clapping their hands like to the beat of We Will Rock You, like, yeah, doing the thing that everybody people, does when We Will Rock You comes on, right? Yeah. Did people not do that before We Will Rock You or did, did We Will Rock You work as stadium rock because that's what people do in stadiums? They stamp their feet to like bleachers and they clap and they cheer. Yeah, but like, they didn't do it to the beat of We Will Rock You is my point. Like <laughs> they are literally hearing the song yes. We Will Rock You in that scene. Like, you're right. You're right. I'm backing down off of this hill. I will advance my next, my next, my next argument. Uh, It seems like when people do this, it's wildly successful. And I cite like Romeo and Juliet. I cite, uh, well, you know, the, 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 the modern one with uh, uh, Leo DiCaprio Mm -hmm. and, and uh, what's her face? Homeland girl. Claire Danes. (laughs) Woman. Claire Danes. Thank you. Um, And uh, Leguizmo, of course. Uh, (laughs) Moulin Rouge. This movie, uh, it seems like when like it's, it's kind of like um, what, what would you call that? Like, uh, you know, you're not gender or race bending, you're time bending. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess Guardians of the Galaxy, I'd even put that because that's that, that's like usually when you see a science fiction show like Dune or Star Wars or so, like it's not recognizably our culture in space yeah it's like some other culture it's the federation and they're like advanced beyond us or they're like faux english because you got to know their villain or whatever Uh, but like guardians of the galaxy is essentially what if our culture but in space and it's our culture is monolithically everywhere in space like every alien behaves in a recognizably funny goofy (laughs) joss whedon kind of way in space like yeah i guess why why don't people do that more often like have that like little because people just go crazy fucking for it yeah I, i love it and this movie was definitely unique the first time I saw it and and maybe still to this day. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it in that, you know, in Guardians, like you get the feeling that uh, what's the main character? Uh, Star Lord. Star Lord has brought like that 80s, you know, nostalgia and like that vibe to space with him, that sort of thing. In this, it's just kind of there for no reason, right? It's like, yeah, it's a stylistic choice instead of like a plot choice. And that to me was like totally unique. I, I, I didn't know why they were doing it, but it worked and I loved it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I was just trying to put my, my, I was trying to put my finger on exactly what they were doing and why, like, again, like, um, they're just like having Romeo fun. And Juli- it feels like Romeo and Juliet. It's like, it's exactly period accurate, like Shakespeare. Uh, it's just a costuming and the yeah, setting right, it's um, modern is completely modern. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is like, you know, the set and all that stuff is very antique, but and the dialogue even. But like the sensibilities and the music is upgraded. And yeah. I, don't know, I, I just think that's interesting. Like when you're adapting this stuff, like who came up with that idea? Where they come from? There's not a lot of yeah. like in-depth, like making up production behind this film because like no one expected this to be like a beloved classic or anyone to think about it in this kind of depth. So yeah, I don't I think anybody was demanding and, that. Yeah. Maybe uh, I need to see the, the Blu-ray commentary. I was going to say, yeah, there is a DVD commentary, which I guess has some interesting stuff uh, on mm. it, but I don't know. I've never heard it. 
Uh, before we move any further, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. There's one other anachronism that I wanted to talk about um, uh-huh. that I noticed, and it's like it's got to be intentional. There's no way they didn't put this in there, knowing that you would hopefully see it when they're when they're headed back to London for that final tournament. Um, you can see like a, a wide shot of London, and you can see the Ferris wheel in the background, which would really? is totally an anachronism for that time. Sure. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's a weird detail to put in. Like, I know London has that big Ferris wheel, right? But do you think they just Piccadilly didn't bother to paint, it digitally paint it? Because they had to do so much digital work on making London look like it's eight, the 11th century or whatever the hell it's supposed to look like. Yeah. So they did they the just Ferris like put a veneer over everything that was there? But, but I I, wish... there are no tall buildings. It's all like small yeah just paint it or is it as a joke or like i wonder like and i wish i'd seen that because i would have tried to freeze frame on and like did they give it like a wooden patina like i think so understand this is some kind of clockwork ferris wheel yeah i I don't know that that was a weird one to me it puzzled me Hmm. so this is a, a sports film and a sports around jousting and i've seen a fair amount of live jousting i've been to quite a few renaissance fairs and that's always a staple um and mm-hmm. i'm always amazed like uh, that people do this, that people did do this in the, in, in the olden times. Um, it seems very painful. Uh, injuries are rife. I don't think these uh, <laughs> I don't think these uh, Renaissance fair guys get paid a lot. It seems like they're all like a bunch of 18 year old like wannabe stuntmen that uh, just, you know, just really want to do this thing and yeah. damn the consequences. Uh, and I noticed like, you know, this is like, this is a really jousting heavy movie. Um, and jousting is like crazy dangerous it involves horses, which is, you know, just dangerous it involves high impact speed, just as dangerous splintering wood. Um, and I wondered because like, man, I noticed that these like lances were just fucking exploding. Yeah. Like it is like I started noticing like these like almost improbably lance explosions. I'm like, I wonder, did they rig these up? I did some looking into it and I guess they used wooden uh, wooden lances that were hollowed out and filled with balsa splinters and lin- lin- an uncooked lingu- linguine. Linguine? Right. Linguine? Uh-huh. And they had balsa wood tips. So like you could just take these things on the face and yeah. it would just like, there's like no, no possible way it could harm you. Um, but it looks incredibly realistic. Like yeah. some of these hits and stuff is like fucking vicious, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially that first one that he takes to the face that bends his helmet all up. I, I was like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's devastating. Yeah, that was a hell of a punch or like the the losing montage where the uh, his 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 lady sent him on a like that was just like fucking brutal to watch. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you see them paying a price with the bruises over his body. Yeah. But like if, if you're going to it's like that's the thing. It's like if you're going to make a movie about like basketball, you better have pretty convincing basketball. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make a movie about et cetera, et cetera. And like, I feel like that's the one thing this movie had to do. And they pretty much nailed it with the jousting. I think so. Uh, the the one complaint I have, and and maybe I'm just not like getting getting it uh, and how jousting works and stuff. But it seemed like every time they would show those close ups when they're just about to hit, you'd show the opponent like pulling their lance away, like turning the opposite direction. And I don't know if that's just them saying, "Hey, this shit is hard," and a horse moves away you don't expect, and you just get thrown totally off, or if that's them pulling the punch so that they only have to take the hits that the actors need to take. 
Hmm. That's interesting because I didn't notice that. And there's even like, I don't know, because there's also like, yeah, they talk about jousting strategy about like, well, you should you should tilt and let let the lance skirt off of this shoulder and it's like what if he hits me on my other shoulder it'll kill me and I'm like so like maybe there was yeah I I couldn't because they also like sometimes um, they used the jousters injury or wariness level to kind of communicate like how the joust was going like if Heath Ledger was charging and he wasn't like dead on center then like oh something's wrong or his opponent do the same thing but like yeah I noticed there was some just kind of like crazy lance work so I guess, yeah, like even if it's a balsa wood lance, it's still wood hitting you at 35 miles an hour combined collision impact, 40 miles an hour. It's like, yeah, you probably want to reduce that to the stuntman no no matter how you do it. Yeah. And there were a lot of them, too. And there's a lot of jousting in this movie and a lot of There's a ton. That's what I'm saying. There's like like lots and lots of jousting footage. And they also keep it interesting. Like there's probably five different jousting or joust training montages. And they always find the way uh to to make it to make it look interesting visually interesting to kind of like you know if yeah. you don't know how jousting goes i don't know how jousting goes but it's like oh three lances to none and oh mm-hmm. uh, you got to knock him off or kill him so i guess knocking him off is worth three and exploded lance is worth one and they do you know. a great job of keeping you uh up to date on the stakes here and like what you need to win and and what you need to hope for in the next round uh yeah in order for the heroes to win and the way they film it is really cool. Like they, they, it seems to me like they have, you know, a horse and uh, some kind of camera set up moving the same direction. And the horse is moving just a little faster and they're shooting it in slow-mo. And so the camera's getting like closer and it feels like the horse is running past you and you're the opponent, but it's all moving in like slow motion. It's, it's really well shot. That part mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it reminds me a lot of how we talked about chess and like Queen's Gambit and searching for Bobby Fischer. It's like you don't need to understand it. You just yeah. have to understand who's winning or losing. And it's got to look visually interesting. Yep. And yeah, this this movie easily scores very high in both of those, which is good because that's what this movie is all about. It's like, again, if you had a basketball, yeah. it always likes every once in a you'll see a basketball movie where the, the star like is like staring at the ball as he dribbles it. <laughs> you know and then like you know they they cut away and there's a dude that's like four inches taller with different hair and he's slam dunking it it's like ah it's not you're not fooling anybody but this stuff of yeah. course it also helps that you've got um you know knights wearing these huge visors and you know like you, you know obviously this isn't heath ledger um i kind of want to go through the cast we've talked about a lot of them in, in mass but i just kind of want to talk about them individually uh i don't think there was a lot of flashes of what would make heath ledger great in this movie this is isn't yeah. Heath Ledger tall and handsome with pretty hair and mm-hmm. nice eyes and just a just a just a very cute smile. Yeah. Um, and he's also kind of like throws tantrums a little bit. He's got, you know, he's all pouty sometimes and he's just kind of adorable. Um, but he doesn't really in my mind, he's not the he's the I don't know. He's like the bland front man of a band, boy band. Like, yeah, a lot. Everyone says, but like, you know, you secretly most people are probably, you know, fantasizing about Paul Bettany or Tudyk or or Mark Addy. Right. Or, or oh, Mike yeah. Craig. I mean, like, Paul Bettany is showing them all up in that. Well, with the exception of maybe Alan Tudyk, they're, you know, jockeying for number one uh, ham in this. Yeah, it's one of those where the star of the movie is kind of like the most boring dude in it. Yeah, um, I don't like I said, it's not his fault. He's doing exactly what the movie calls for. It's just uh, mm-hmm. 
you know he's uh he's the he's the he's the boring dude in this one and if it, um, if they didn't have those side characters i wouldn't have mm-hmm. watched or i wouldn't have liked this movie um yeah there'd be li- literally nothing for anyone yeah. to do because most of the meat of the film the stuff that like you know you probably on rewatches or your favorite parts are the character interactions you know mm-hmm. like uh Alan Tudyk uh, threatening Bettany with a good, uh, <laughs> good I've fonging. fonging, a good <laughs> fonging or, you know, Mark Addy being exasperated with everything he's seen and stuff like that. I want to talk about Mark Addy, too, um, because he again, he's another one. The straight man, he doesn't have a lot to do and there's not. Yeah. Like every other film I've ever seen him in, there's nothing in this to suggest that he's going to be bellowing with my beard running down as his beard as, as he's juggling three women and. And trying to pry his ass into a, a set of armor. Um, but that's uh, you need a guy that's even more boring than the hero uh, to kind of contrast. So that's what Mark Addy does here. Um, I don't have much yeah. to say more about him. Yeah, he's he's trying to ground this romantic a little bit, right? This kid with like yeah. high ideas. Yeah. Uh, Rufus, who plays the villain, uh, whose name I do not recall. Uh, I was kind of impressed because I thought that they were going to make him out to be kind of a dandy, you mm. know, but like he actually is playing essentially the black knight. His armor is yeah. bad is always the most badass on the field. It's like very like dark, bl- like almost black gunmetal gray. He's fucking butch. Um, he the only like the only reason he's a villain is because he has a sneering contempt for the the peasant class. Uh, otherwise, oh, his he, views on like. The women are certainly and uh, women of, of the I age, should, let's say. I should say sneering contempt for anyone that he sees is beneath him. Sure. And that includes yeah. peasants. That includes women. That includes, well, I think, religion. He doesn't have a go at some religious yeah, figure or something. I, I think basically everyone in this movie except for the prince. Yeah. 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 And what's what I thought really funny is there's a scene where like him and uh, Heath Ledger are rivals. Um, and he's always kind of skeptical about like, you know, he comes from Lichtenstein and uh, Heath Ledger does. And he's like, uh, he's got the scene where he's looking at his old armor and he's like, oh, how charming. My grandfather would be happy to know that he can get his armor out of storage and wear it again. And oh, these these rustic, these rustic uh, knights from faraway lands are really no better than peasants, all that stuff. But there's a scene like in the middle of the movie where he gets sent off to war legitimate war yeah. real war killing dudes killing dudes with lances and sword charging them in battle and he's obsessively going over the scrolls from the attorneys back home and i got this mind is like this is like a navy seal going like you know he, he rolls out of the black he rolls into blackhawk he just killed like you know four tangos he rolls back to base and he's the first thing he does he gets on his xbox and sees what is what is like you know it's like oh god damn it fucking 420 nugget gangster is got is got <laughs> 0.3 more kill to death ratio than me god damn it i can't fucking believe this like isn't it wild that like he's yeah. so super competitive with the fake war when he's actually distinguished himself in like real war oh yeah yeah it was hilarious on the other hand i don't know like uh I, i'm sure they have xboxes and playstations on army and marine and uh naval bases oh they do all over the all over the place and i'm sure that by their nature they're highly competitive people it just i just i just thought that was so super funny to be yeah. this kind of fake war is kicking my ass in the real war games i was like ah um, soaking up all the glory who's gonna soaking hear about up this all battle. the fake glory stolen valor man it's just, uh, my, uh, heath ledger he's not noble he's never been in war 
And so, uh, and so the dude goes across the country committing atrocities in order to get pulled from the war. Is that what I read from the description? Did he? I don't know. I thought the it, war just got over, and he, he like after he he came back. Maybe, but I, yeah, you're maybe right. I guess just I paint him as a really bad guy, saying, "Oh, all those atrocities you committed over there, doing what old school atrocities in in modern ways." Yeah, or maybe modern he's tech. like a, a a bloody banner Bannon type of guy from like the Patriots. Like he's yeah, just uh, don't, don't approve asshole. of your methods. Don't approve of your method methods, Sir Rufus. I, I admire your results, but your methods, I don't know about, Mr. Rufus. Um, uh, yeah, but this guy, yeah, um, I don't know what else to say about him. He's just like, uh, he's just a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany uh, does a lot in this movie. Shows up full ass naked. The only thing you don't see is his twig. Um, <laughs> extens- extended <Twice>. naked. <laughs> extended a- extended. Extended. Extended nudity from Paul Bettany. It's always a crowd pleaser. You know, mm-hmm. Paul Bettany is also um, like many men in Hollywood. Uh, have you noticed that like um, the dearth of just average dudes in Hollywood nowadays? Oh, yeah. Like everyone's I mean, getting Paul holding, out, holding that flag that last flag he's 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 holding the line but like everyone's getting marvel jacked because who knows man sam jackson might retire as nick fury and they'll need nick fury 2.0 and i'm 55 years old so but i'm still gonna keep my shit tight because who knows i might get that call or they're just like all out schlubs um sure but this was like and now paul bettany has got the classically triangular torpedo like he's like he's marvel jacked uh but this movie he was he was just a dude um right Nothing wrong with that. He's just a dude. He's got just a dude's ass hanging out in front of me. Uh, he's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I thought that his like carnival Barker act would get old, but it kept on getting more and more elaborate and it was just more and more delightful. Um, yeah. Just not just the effect he had on the crowd, but like him being pleased with his own performance uh-huh. uh, increasingly is what, what killed me. It's great. And the, the hammer for me is the final joust win. Uh, the what's what's the guy's name Adderall or something when Sir Rufus when, yes. when Sir Adderall's Harold uh, comes out there and tries to do the shtick that Bettany's uh-huh. been doing the whole movie and he's uh-huh. just like no dude don't even try it you're not that guy you're not Je- Jeffrey Chaucer I never suspected that Paul Bettany could be this funny because um, I obviously I hadn't seen this movie until like uh, like I said, the ep- second episode of WandaVision is worth watching just to yes. see like a really good physical comedy skit. Yeah. Um, and he's really funny in that. He's very, very, very funny in this. And he's been like he's not not funny like Master and Commander, but it's more of like a sly, you know, British kind of funny, um, a, a, mm-hmm. a dry wit. Um, this is just there's a lot of like slapstick and just him. You know, like the scene of him, like he keeps giving the business to Alan Tudyk and Alan Tudyk's a violent maniac. And he keeps like, I I love the like, uh, like, you know, smash cut to him being punched. And then he's without breaking his dialogue. You see him with like stuff shoved up his nose to stop his nose Uh bleeding. And is like, he's got a black eye and he's still talking shit. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, And that second time, the, the first time, you know, Paul Bettany shows up naked. You're like, oh, boy. The second time it's played for just pure comedy, right? Where like mm-hmm. the next time you meet him, he's caught by his his debt collectors and he's completely naked again. And mm-hmm. then uh, Alan Tudyk attacks him when he's naked, gets him in a headlock, starts punching him, <laughs> bends him over, starts yep. punching him. It's yep. it's really funny. 
It is. It's really funny. It's a lot of good um, physical comedy and uh, and some of that sly stuff from both of those guys. Yeah, even like kind of like relatively dumb or obvious things uh-huh. like uh, at the closing of the training montage when he is like uh, Mark Addy and Tudyk are dragging him down a canal so him for him to get this ring. Oh, and, I love that! And he finally he finally gets the ring, but he falls over backwards, and they're like ah celebrating, but like you know Heath Ledger's it's just a Jamie Lannister problem. He's <laughs> right. wearing fifty pounds of armor and he's at the bottom of this river and he can't get out. And Mark Addy's like anytime, and then they kind of realize that. And it's to the movie's credit, they don't smash cut to them like, you know, doing yeah. CPR on him or anything. It's just, it's a funny situation. The knight getting knocked off, and what the hell is he going to do? This movie has uh, an, a good comedic timing to it, right? It, it yeah. lets you realize the joke and then moves on. It doesn't linger too long. And it's pretty steadily, evenly paced. Like every three to five minutes, there'll be just like, and then there's not like a gut busting moment. There are a couple like really funny moments, but mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, you know, hey, you're having fun. It's mm-hmm. like uh, the kind of the kind of funny when you're with your friends is kind of hanging out. And the, um, and the way I, I don't know why, but the way that uh, Sir Ulrich keeps calling Paul Bettany's character Jeff <laughs> the whole time, yeah. he's just like, hey, Jeff, uh-huh, it's such uh-huh. like a modern name that it's modern sounding name that I'm like, what? It's funny. Yeah, and it's funny. This is the idea of this like literate poet and, you know, like the abilities, the uh, what what he could do for like this band of kind of like, you know, up junk hedge knights. It's 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 funny. It's a really funny concept. Alan Tudyk is um he's playing pretty broad. He's essentially just the angry guy. He's playing like yeah. uh, if this movie were made today, um, like Danny McBride would be in this role. Sure. Um, but he's just there to be kind of like unreasonable, like, like kind of like the loudish. Um, he's the he's very loud. Uh, he's prone to violence, uh, threatening everyone to a good falling on several occasions. Mm-hmm. But stalwart friend. Um, and then Laura, like, I don't know what to say about Shannon Sosaman because she's just a really pretty face that smiles coquettishly and then gets frowny face. I mean, there's, there's a couple like, I don't know, like I there's this one scene where like. Heath Ledger is mad that he lost to Sir Rufus and he's just being a shit to everybody and he gives mm-hmm. her the business because she's in there like excited about a ball and he's like oh your girl stuff is stupid and she's like well your boy stuff is stupid too and mm-hmm. there was kind of something there but like I I don't know um, I like her I'm I, I, she's good with the, uh, what she's given here um, which is something I guess a little more than I expected, you know, in these rom- rom-com movies, typically the woman is just like an object to be chased. And that's true here too, but there's something mm-hmm. about this character where they give her a personality, not just, you know, objectifying her totally. It, I don't know, but it is cheesy. It is like. The movie gets pretty fucking meta when the the hero and the villain are debating about the fact that she is essentially a trophy to be won. Uh-huh. And like Literally. Heath Ledger's Heath Ledger's lines are essentially, "Well, yeah, but it's not what I feel. That's how I feel about it, you know." <laughs> sure. Like, yeah, Rufus is like, "It is what it is, man. She's the best-looking lady with the best breeding and I'm going to make her mine. I'm going to I'm going to saddle her and right. add her to And they also have this really tortured metaphor of her being a horse to saddle and a trophy to win." Yeah. And I'm like, do they realize how stupid this sounds? And then as I was thinking that Rufus literally says, I'm going to saddle her and put her on my mantle, uh-huh. like cementing the fucking <laughs> right. like busted ass at an analogy. Um, so then Laura Frazier, um, I, I mean, she's fine. She's there to be uh, 
it's a little bit cringy in the beginning because like Heath Ledger just easily manipulates her into make giving him free armor because he's like, oh, this other fucking blacksmith said that you're a fucking woman and you can't armor for shit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, yeah. And that's how she joins the the gang. And they give her a little bit like, why do they give her this tragic like widow backstory? Because otherwise she'd have nothing in this she would literally just be the person who makes his new armor it's almost like it's almost like they threw that in there to be like well we might wonder why this woman just goes off and leaves her village and goes gallivanting with these guys you know she's a successful blacksmith fine i like filling those holes but also i don't think she's given enough yeah yeah. i mean any hole i'll fill it of course uh (laughs) but no i i i wish that they had given her more to do because she is just kind of there in the background waiting to teach these guys to dance eventually. Yeah, this movie, I, we talked, uh, me and Joanne and Kim talked about this on the holidays. Like, these are one of these transitional movies as far as, like, yeah. m- with modern sensibilities where it's like, you could tell, man, we don't want to just bring girls on here and give them nothing to do. So, like, we know that's bad, but we also don't know how to... F- fully realize a character like this and give him equal screen time and like you know we don't have the shortcuts and all this stuff that'll later be pioneered so like it's yeah she's a she's the blacksmith and she's actually secretly the best blacksmith and not just the best blacksmith she's like pioneering crazy alloy technology that makes armor stronger and lighter mm-hmm. um and that's it she's rich super competent blacksmith and she's a woman makes you think makes you think uh and she's lydia from breaking bad who she's pretty good at playing super competent characters it turns out All right, let's take another quick break and we'll be right back. The other thing that felt weirdly disconnected is the father's role in this. Um, Like his father, how does Heath Ledger like he the movie even kind of tries to lampshade it, but it doesn't successfully lampshade it uh, when like uh, Heath Ledger makes the observation is like, oh, why did I think my dad was dead? He's always been strong as a, as an ox and I've only been gone 12 years and he was only like in his like yeah you know like I get the average age of death in the medieval age was 50 but you know a lot of that's tri- infant mortality and you know if you survived through your 30s you usually were able to make it to your 60s or 70s like it's it's weird that the movie even gave him this dad plot because like I never felt like I mean literally the movie tacked it on like there was three flashbacks where they showed the relationship he had with his father and his father shared his dream of being a knight and sacrificed all this stuff to be a knight and then brought it back in the end. But like, I don't know because it was also his downfall. Like that, none of this stuff kind of hung together for me because why did Sir Rufus follow him to Cheapside, which I, I I don't know if that's a real district in London. I think that's brilliant. I, I love I love that someone's calling something the equivalent of Shantytown or Flea yeah. Bottom or something like that. He's he's going. Why would he follow this knight just around? Why would he go to, uh, you know, I, 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 I thought they were going to make it to where that that girl betrayed him. The little girl that lives in his village or something for like a couple of pieces of gold or whatever. Right. I, I like so. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know what to make of the the dad plot. It's another yeah. one that felt like this is a this is like a 100 minute movie that's uh, 135 and that it's not the the and it's all the it's all the the love interest and the dad's fault and it's not the interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean I I like the dad plot. I but it doesn't make a lot of sense, you're right. Um especially yeah, sir 
sir shitbag following him there. He's been winning gold, tourney gold for years and or for a long time and hasn't sent anything back to his dad because he just assumed his dad's dead. Never heard anything. It's only been 12 years. Dad's probably dead. Yeah, he's getting to be in his 40s now. No way. No fucking way. <laughs> Thatcher? No way. No way. He's falling off a roof. No way. This <laughs> is it's, it's weird. And then the way like the movie makes it like um like like the the, the ending revolves around his father, like hearing Sir William of Thatchery or whatever and like getting tears in his blind eyes and and like uh his highborn girlfriend going and f- getting him out of flea bottom and bringing him into the royal press box. It's like all that stuff like yeah, I don't know. I it it, mm. it I it came out of nowhere and it didn't didn't really connect with me. One other thing I thought was weird. Um Rufus Sir Rufus at one point when he first jousts uh Sir Ledger of Heath or Sir Heath of Ledger, uh he looks up at his like distinctive fist-shaped lance. Like, and I thought for sure when he was charging, he was going to operate some kind of crazy lever and that fist was going to retract and a spike was going to come out of it. And oh. it never did. And it never did. And like he, he fought him like two more times and nothing like they, like they do this thing where it's like Rufus literally looks up at his lance and the camera zooms in on that fist. Then at the end of the movie, they do something where it's like, ah, he tipped it. But I yeah. have no fucking clue what tipping meant or didn't like it. It felt like his, oh, his Chekhov's the, Lance, but I didn't quite figure out what they were trying to suggest what he actually did. There's a really quick line there as he's preparing to, to run down that field uh, mm-hmm. where his, his I don't know, steward, whatever, hands him his Lance and says uh, <laughs> this. It's essentially just uh, what is it? Spun sugar. And he he crushes the fist, right? And you see the tip of the lance is pointed, uh, whereas it's oh. not supposed to be. And so they put a a sugar shell around the front, so you couldn't tell that it was tipped until it Got hit you. him and broke, and then it would Got it you. would pierce him. So, like, did he have that sugar stick in the first place? And he's thinking about, ah, oh, maybe I should crush it. Or like, also, why would you ever crush it in advance? You wouldn't. Just you wouldn't. To... You only do that for the movie to show the audience. Okay. It was kind of stupid because, right. like, I got it. Oh, you say it's spun sugar, and then when it shows and it hits him, and they say, "Oh, he tipped it," and you'd eventually get all that. But yeah, it was a little silly there. Um, uh, and I don't know why you don't take that over. Like, oh, everybody sees. Oh, he tipped it. Why don't you take that over to some of the officials here and say, "Hey, look, this motherfucker's cheating." Right, he tipped right? it. He's it's trying to the, kill the this tip guy. Is stuck into my arm. Yeah. Right? here's the evidence. I got tipped. <laughs> right, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, it's pride. It's it's wanting to beat this dude, even though he's playing the unfair game. Whatever. And that's the other thing is like it also felt like the the whole like you should run kind of thing. It's like yeah, you should run. He's like no, I'm going to show up to fight. Well, do you understand that they're not going to let you fight? Right that that's not a thing that's going to happen and you're just going to go instantly. It's not like if you like if you could if you can knock this guy off his horse and win and then go to the stockades. Mm-hmm. Fine. That's one thing. But like, yeah, the only thing that made that actually OK and work out in the terms of the movie is that, you know, Sir, whatever Prince, Prince Black Philip or whatever his name happened to, to say the right in there and save the day. Yeah. Um. Do you want to have a serious conversation about like whether Alan Tudyk or Nathan or Nathan Fillion has a better career at this point? Because the more I think about Could. it, like what's Nathan Fillion got other than Castle and Mal Reynolds from Firefly? He's a lot got of people. Halo. Really, he's got he's Halo screen credit. 
It's got Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. Okay, that's, good. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's interesting work, but it's like one of those, like, uh, you know, writer shut down. Like if, if you've seen it, like I, I've seen it just a year or two ago. Um, cause Jack wanted to see it for some reason. And I remember thinking like, this doesn't hold up as much as I thought it did. I thought we, um, we might've covered that in a podcast. We did. It yeah. was an early commission like five years ago. And I remember really, really liking it. Um, but I don't know. Cause that's like, um, that's not a real thing. Like that's like a like a like a, a writer strike student film project to amuse the people that were in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it's not a real thing, but I'm like you know it's like what is it like 45 minutes long or something? Yeah. Um, Nathan Fillion's was the arguably the star of Destiny until they wrote him out like two years ago. <laughs> Brought in Peter Dinklage. Is that right? No, they just just killed off his character. Now T- oh. Peter Dinklage got got uh, turned into I don't know one of the other you know. Who's who's there's just like three dudes that do voices and oh, and, yeah, uh, video like game uh, Hollywood. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about, but yeah, sure. um, Alan Tudyk, though. So he's got the Firefly cred, clearly not the lead role. Uh, he was Pirate Steve in Dodgeball. He's got this, which is a bigger movie than I suspected it of. It made over, you know, a hundred million dollars in America on a like a what, 20 million dollar budget. Uh, no, this this had a massive budget. This is a sixty five million dollar film. Did it? Yeah, okay. it doesn't really feel like it. Um, no, I mean, I guess the armor and those locations and stuff are kind of expensive. It must like, have been and, and tons of tons of extras too. Like, yeah, they had like yeah. uh, cast of hundreds in this thing. Yeah, and made like double its money, so it was successful for sure. Hmm. He's got uh, lots of voice credits, including, like I said, uh, Pixar films. He's been in several Pixar films. He played the 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 only white guy in all of uh, Moana. Only white person in all Moana was the chicken, uh, hmm. uh, played by Alan Tudyk. Uh, he did really good work, as I said, in Doom Patrol on HBO. He wasn't as much in the second season because he had, uh, ironically, I think uh, the Harley Quinn work he did interfered with that. But I think he'll probably be back in, in future seasons. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like they're kind of at parody right now, and I don't know what Nathan Fillion's next role is. Because, like, the thing that Nathan Fillion's famous for doing, which is being handsome and Nathan Fillion, like, uh, you know, eventually those roles will stop coming to him because he's going to get, like, he'll be old, not quite as handsome Nathan Fillion. Alan Tudyk's just getting started, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. with his character actor shit. I don't know. Um, It looks like... Uh, Marvel's Modoc, he's going to play a character in that coming up. Um, and Suicide Squad, boy, he's doing both those, huh? I don't see, I don't see uh, Nathan Fillion doing AAA stuff. No, those those are Did Nathan he? Fillion roles. Oh, Nathan Fillion. Okay, I thought you were talking about Tudyk. No, okay, he's, he's well, done a shitload of TV. Just like he's on every television show you can think of. Hmm. I don't uh, want to start a big war between the Tudics and the the uh, the Fillions, but uh, it's a debate, and I wouldn't have thought that possible ten years ago. I will say personally, I like the stuff that Alan Tudyk has done better than I like the stuff that Nathan Fillion has done. But that wouldn't be true, obviously, yeah. for a Castle fan because there's so much of that. Yeah, and that's the other thing is like Nathan Fillion is always Nathan Fillion uh-huh. in everything I've ever seen him in. Whereas Alan, like, what is an Alan Tudyk performance? Uh, in this area, you could kind of be like, oh, he's a broad comedic kind of like, right. but like nowadays, like with his voice work and with some of the other dra- dramatic stuff with the, I guess, Dale and Tucker. 
Uh, that's that's pretty broadly comedic. Yeah. Yeah. That's of the the Knight's Tale, the the Firefly kind of genre. Yeah. He's playing a hillbill. I mean, it's like it's not uh-huh. it's not like the Alan. It's not like he's just Alan Tudyk, you know. Oh, no. His it's characters a, are very different, but the tone of what he does is very similar movie to movie. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, what is there anything else we want to talk about when it comes to this movie? Uh, the soundtrack is amazing. It, it has sure a, a, enormous uh, gets as far as uh, bands and songs. Like it's got David Bowie in it. You know, everybody mm-hmm. everybody knows the "We Will Rock You" song from this movie. Uh, it's got two Queen songs in it. It's got that David Bowie song, which Low Rider, really cool. which, was, Rider which was funny for the uh, jousting montage. Taking care of business. The boys are back in town. Like all these. That was a good one when they got know. back to London. Yeah, I think ACDC. Yeah. There's a track from ACDC in this too. You should like, be all night long. That's like the the intro, the outro to credits track. Yeah, yeah, just a ton of great music. Um, and you know, it goes back to those anachronisms that we're talking about. And oh, a, a couple others that I liked. There's one moment where, uh, the the farrier who's making the armor makes the armor for him and then puts a trademark on it, which is just a couple of Nike swooshes, which I thought mm. was pretty funny. Um, mm-hmm. And she basically invents the term trademark in that scene. Yeah. Uh, and then when they're in the pub and they're they're being taunted by the French who say, oh, yeah, Frenchmen will win this tournament. Um, they sing a song that's very like soccer hooligan. Uh, I don't know. Very English soccer hooligan about how, uh, you know, Ulrich's going to win, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. And And one other when they hit the he hits a knight so hard with the joust uh, during the joust that his helmet goes flying off and like mm-hmm. goes flying into the stands and they do this mon this scene where like people are catching it like it's a foul ball at a baseball game. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Which I thought like all those little touches bring it sort of into the modern day in a really cool way. Right on. But yeah, I, I like this movie. I like this movie a lot. Uh, you know, this movie uh, got some awards. Uh, MTV Music Awards <laughs> cleaned up nominations for Best Kiss, Best Musical Sequence, mm-hmm. uh, Breakthrough Female Performance. It lost all those, uh, but lost all them to yeah. American Pie. That was right. Two American Rouge. Pie two and American Pie two and uh, Mandy Moore and a Walk to Remember. <laughs> wow, you think that's, she would have been bigger that's, if that's, she won that? Th- this is this is a scandal of the MTV films. Like this is the Oscar. This is Forrest Gump winning over Pulp Fiction. Right. This is yeah. uh, you know that that kind of it's, it's just it's 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 in retrospect seen as a travesty. But uh, what, what were you about to say? Do you think she would have been bigger, the the lead uh, woman in this, if she had won the MTV award instead of Mandy oh, Moore? Oh sure, yeah. Think she would have uh-huh. had that breakout. Oh, she would have had Mandy Moore's career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I don't leave know. it. Mandy Moore, like I don't, I'm actually talking shit about Mandy Moore. I don't know. Hell, she could be. You know, she. she I could think win Mandy an Oscar Moore's career was a walk to remember. Yeah, isn't it? Like, I think she had she, a music, but she's like one of those like where like you had Britney, and then you had Christina Aguilera, uh-huh. and then there was like Pink. That's like that's like the Arnold <laughs> Sly Stallone uh-huh. J- JCVD, and then like and then you had the Vitamin others. C. And then you had Mandy Moore. Yeah, yeah, Mandy Moore was in there doing stuff. There was a lot of like blondes making music. Uh, it turns out back then. So like, I don't yeah. know. Maybe she is some fucking absolutely amazing success in lifetime movies or something. I don't know. That could be maybe. 
She I is. bet she's in a lot of Christmas movies. I was going to say, give her Hallmark a Lacey Channel. Chabert's career. I bet she's had, a, I bet she spent some time in Canada uh, yep. between August and, and October <laughs> uh, sh- sh- shooting a blistering three, uh, two week shooting schedule. <laughs> right. Shoot four Christmas movies over the course of two months. Yeah, at that, at that one gazebo and that one, in that one <laughs> Vancouver town. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That's a night's tale. It's 20 years old. Congratulations to making it two decades. Uh, still, people fondly and I, 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 I know, I know I've talked some shit about the film, but honestly, a big smile on my face throughout the oh, whole yeah. time. It's a good, a good, good time at the movies. Again, is this a prestige film? Uh, I don't know, but it, it's, it's hard it to call have... this pulp, though, right? Like it's a romantic comedy, yeah. and it's it's anachronistic history, but it's but it's not like laser it's guns almost like, or fan. It's like almost like we years. created a. It's almost like we created a category that's defined by not being cape shit robots. Yes. And 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 spaceships. It's, it's other. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, the other stuff you like that that that, that you didn't there's no none of the, you know, it's like we even put Fast and Furious into the pulp category because, mm-hmm. you know, just who need it's it's pretty pulpy. But uh of course pulp fiction would be in prestige. Um I'll admit that's this it. is this is borderline. I I don't know that I can reasonably call it prestige but i also wouldn't call it pulp yeah real talk we did put this in prestige and we'd have to do another fucking movie podcast this week yeah. and we already had a cook and that just wasn't going to happen so we no. we we got the breastplate stretcher and we uh-huh. just 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 poured this into the prestige feed and it fit it fit it checked out uh that's it for a night's tale uh happy 20th anniversary to to everyone involved uh we'll be back next week with another prestige film uh until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see ya